Welcome to Mysterious Universe Plus, Season 5, Episode 18. Coming up on this show, we have Demon Elves, Assembly Line Abductions, and Communion with Sasquatch. I'm Benjamin Grundy. Joining me is Aaron Wright. I'm starting to regret eating that summer log. Why would you eat a summer log right before we record? In fact, why would you eat one at all? They're delicious. Yeah, they're healthy. Are you kidding me? They're nougat covered in chocolate. But it says Europe on the packaging. That means it's healthy. No, it doesn't. It does. They're great. Yeah, but you're right. It fills your mouth with chocolate. Not really good for recording. No. But I'm going to power through. This is my dedication to this plus show. Look, I am looking forward to having communion with Bigfoot. It's not that kind of communion. Oh. There's nothing kind of There's no wine? No, no. It's Freeman Young, who we had on the last show. He was the guy that understood the hypersonic language of Bigfoot. And although we promised we were going to do this entire episode in Squatch speak, you were saying you couldn't get two cats ready in time. I got one, but the other one escaped. Right, so we just have to do a regular show. But we do have his book coming up, which is actually quite entertaining. First up, we have an update on the mass die-offs of dolphins and pelicans in Peru. After weeks of study, investigators say they think they know why the 4,450 pelicans have died. Apparently, it's due to hotter-than-usual ocean currents, which is forcing their food down to greater depths and they actually eat anchovies. Yeah, that's exactly right. Apparently, um, of 10 of the pelicans that were autopsied, they found that their digestive tracts didn't have any food in them at all, or they had fish that they don't normally eat. Now, a lot of these pelicans were around three years of age, which makes them juveniles in their species. Oh, so they can't go down as deep. They can't dive down as deep as the adults. Did you see how much the temperature rose in the currents? A, it was only a few degrees, wasn't it? Was it was six degrees. Yeah. That's huge. Not really. That's absolutely massive. Oh, what? So, what, we're saying that this is going to be the result of harp or the result of global warming? I'm or- just saying the signs are around. <laughs> well, they're not actually because this same thing happened back in 1982 oh. and also in 1997 when El Nino affected weather currents. Next, you're going to be telling me 2012 is not the end of the world. Well, it's not. They still don't know why the dolphins died, though. But this rise in ocean temperatures, it would make sense for that to be involved as well. Well, it would. I mean, I guess perhaps if they're hunting something, because a lot of them that were found, a lot of the dolphins that were found, as we said, they had broken bones in their ears, which affected their ability to dive and depth and resurface. It was like, you know, speaking of dolphin deaths, I can't remember where this was, but some idiot zookeeper decided that they were going to have a rave at a zoo. It's like an aquatic park, like SeaWorld, right? Yeah, right. But this was, I, I believe it was in Europe. I can't remember where I saw it. But the funny thing about that was, well, it's not funny at all, but the terrifying thing about that was, is that some of the ravers gave the dolphins, uh, I think it was heroin, which suppressed their natural instinct to rise up. So they actually drowned. Now, I was thinking, I mean, there could be some type of link here with these dolphins because if they don't, if they're affected by temperature, so if temperature has gone up or there's some type of chemical or something that has affected their ability to rise, Mm. well, that possibly could be the reason why they've dropped dead and drowned. So, you're saying someone's put LSD in the ocean in such large amounts that the dolphins are dying? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Right. Well, who has a rave party at SeaWorld? I know. That's ridiculous. And who gives dolphins? Well, if the heroin didn't kill the dolphins, Skrillex probably would have killed the dolphins. Well, that's true. Yeah. It would have killed me. Now, the big story that's been making the headlines today is a find of a brand new Mayan calendar. This has been discovered adorning a lavishly painted wall in the ruins of a city deep in the Guatemalan rainforest. The hieroglyphics painted in black, red, along with a colourful mural of a king and his mysterious attendants seem to have been a sort of handy reference chart for court scribes in around 800 AD. So, the court scribes were the astronomers, the mathematicians of the day. And this is a really interesting find purely by the way it was found because this was an excavation and originally the excavators thought, okay, this this find isn't anything to write home about. Uh, A lot of the things in there were in bad condition. Nothing was really preserved. But there was this extra room that it looked like looters had tried to get in there and they couldn't actually get in. So, they decided to excavate that to find out what was in there. And this is where they found this huge mural with the Mayan calendar there. So, this Mayan calendar actually predates the existing finds by hundreds of years. Yeah, that's exactly right. Boston University archaeologist William Saturno says that the discovery appears to be that of a 365-day solar calendar uh, also has the cycles of Venus and the cycles of Mars. But the important thing to look at here 
is that the Mayans weren't trying to find an ending. They were trying to make these mathematical calculations to prove that everything goes on forever. They predicted that in 7,000 years from now, which was then the 9th century AD, that the world would be exactly the same. It would still be here. Yeah, he says we keep looking for endings, but the Maya were looking for a guarantee that nothing would change. It's an entirely different mindset. The calendar includes no sign backing up the much-hyped myth that the Mayan calendar and thus the world will end this year. And it's funny that you see this story, which really has nothing to do with destruction, the apocalypse, the end of the world. But a lot of the less scientific news sources work that into the headline or work that into the story. It's click farming. Of course, people love death and destruction and fear cells. And this is what's working. So, of course, I mean, this is from the ABC, which is and the other one was from Live Science. So more reputable sites. And yet, yeah, other sites like 9MSN and news.com.au, it's like, oh, the end of the world isn't coming. Saturno's co-author, Anthony Avini, a professor of astronomy and anthropology at New York's Colgate University, says the only thing predicted to end in 2012 is the calendar cycle. He said it's like the odometer of a car with the Mayan calendar rolling over from 120,000 Ks to 130,000. The car gets a step closer to the junkyard as the numbers turn over. The mayor, just start over. Exactly. Hang on. He says there, the car gets a step closer to the junkyard. He's using a metaphor. But he's he's saying that the earth is getting closer to the junkyard. I've got to get you away from those above top secret forums because that's what you've been reading all afternoon. You've got to read between the lines, man. No, but he says the Maya just start over. He's just saying that, you know, if it was, if uh, if the earth was a car, we'd be in the junkyard. The earth is not a car. But that's the, that's the metaphor, though. See, if your car's ready for the junkyard, do you pay ridiculous fees to try and restore it, or do you just get a new car? If you've got a rotten apple and the core's rotten and it's ready to th- time to throw it out, the cycle's finished. Do you try and repair the apple, or do you just get a new apple? So you're saying we wait for like an Earth Lexus sale and we go get upgrade ourselves to a better Earth? Is see, that what's going to happen? See, all these people are saying that the Mayan calendar is just the end of a cycle. Therefore, there's going to be no death and destruction. Well, there won't be. But how does the end of a cycle not spell death and destruction? But hang on. This is just humanity's cycle. This is just what people have created, right? We have decades. We have centuries. At the end of a decade, do you go, oh, oh, no, we need a new one. That doesn't happen. It just goes on. Time doesn't exist. This is why all of this crap is so irrelevant. Yeah, but at the end of a decade, you don't have planets aligning and energies firing up. But that's not happening in 2012 either. And you don't have quarantines lifting. Quarantine? Which is really what 2012 is about. You see, I wanted to go and find what the truth is behind 2012. So I went to the number one internet repository of truth. Oh, my God. The above top secret forums. Yeah, right. I found some YouTubers who know exactly oh, what's even going better. on. They know <laughs> they know exactly what's going on. And I like YouTubers because they don't hold back. They don't post videos saying this might happen. I don't know. But it's a question mark there. They tell you exactly what's going to happen. Like this guy. Let's take a listen. Regarding the uh, shift that's getting ready to take place. I'm trying to help people to understand, understand and overstand how the uh, quarantine directly relates to the shift. See, first of all, you got to understand, overstand, and understand. You can't just understand something. Um, now, many people already know about 2012. I put out a lot of information. We, you, you know that it's the end of the Mayan calendar. There's a lot of gloom and doom out there. Um, some people are saying that the world is going to end. You know, we have a lot of different uh, Christian movements and different movements that are teaching that the world is going to end and uh, things of that nature. But the world is not going to end. But what's happening is, is that we are in entering into what's called the shift. That's right. We're entering the shift. And he goes on to explain that the shift is the ending of a quarantine where the extraterrestrials out there have been quarantined from Earth at the end of 2012, quarantines up. And uh, these ancient ones were said to that we're going to return at a certain point. And it's based on um, a certain portals opening at certain times. And this is what the shift is really all about. You see, the end of the Maya calendar marks the end of the point when the quarantine was first uh, constructed around this planet. The quarantine, and uh, once the quarantine is lifted, we'll be able to interface with uh, entities that we know nothing of. Uh, many children are already seeing these entities and having dreams about these entities. I get the emails all the time. They're going to be able 
to make themselves known and that's going to be when people are going to a lot of people are going to lose it because especially those people that have been christianized that have been religified religified christified and basically this ties directly into the shift these ets are going to be able to come um directly into our atmosphere and be able to send tele not only telepathically communicate but some of them will be able to abduct um different people children and adults alike some of them will be able to create portals inside of your house based on a certain elemental um faculties like you know they'll be able to create water portals and earth portals and they'll be able to communicate with people through mirrors and things of this nature so that's why it's important that we really understand exactly what's going on with the quarantine so well i'm glad he cleared that up so there's nothing to worry about the world's not going to end but in 2012, it's going to be the end of the quarantine. And there's going to be portals. There's going to be alien earth portals. There's going to be portals in your mirror. There's going to be abductions. You know, I reckon I can start making a lot of money here. I'm going to start selling guns loaded with Thorazine. Thorazine? What's Thorazine? It's an antipsychotic. People need to be <laughs> shot up with Thorazine. But I, I started researching this quarantine business and I found out there's quite a lot of YouTubers who prescribe to this theory. But it, it seems as though people's explanations vary from each video. You know, if you guys heard of what quarantine is, it's basically replacing a quarantine right now. And right now the quarantine is very, very heavy. However, in the fourth, you know, we're in the third age, but as we go into the fourth age, there becomes a time when people can actually break quarantine. Um, but the way that people are going to do it, they're going to have to do either one or two ways. And that's by going into um, minotonic gold, which is basically gold that you can consume into powder, then you consume it. So you do actually breathe gold. Oh my God. You're going to have to get your body aligned with the solar energy, which is connected to the sun. And what do I mean by that is by connecting with solar energy, you kind of basically want to get your spiritual body back aligned with the sun. So therefore you are back in tune with the cycles and the constellations and the stars. So that's why I'm way out of sync, Karen. Yeah, I'm, I just, I you know what? Myself up again. What I don't understand is that I mean, personally, I don't think any of this garbage is going to happen. It's just going to be another day. It's not going to be the ending of negativity. It's not going to be the ending of the planet. It's what not about going to the be quarantine. No, the there is no quarantine. Come on. None of that is going to happen. But what happens on December the 22nd? What are all these fools <laughs> going to be doing? Are oh, they going to do what a Har what Harold Camping did? And say, oh, no, that well, it's the start of it, and then it's going to happen in another six months. Why are these people getting involved in this? Why can't you just go and live your life and just enjoy how much time you've got left? I mean, 2012 may never happen for you because you might get hit by a bus tomorrow. All I know is that we will always have content for this show. That is true. No matter what happens. That is true. And if something does happen at, on December the 21st, 2012, this year, mm. I really hope it's like this. If, if I could create... A special event in 2012. I want it to be just like this. So close your eyes. Mm -hmm. This is my 2012. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Age of Aquarius. Aquarius. Why do you not look impressed? <laughs> He's not impressed. <laughs> you hid that tab from me. <laughs> Why do you look so upset? I don't want to live like that. You don't want to live in my future? No, I don't want to live in your future. Fine. Fine. I can take a hint. Good. And I can also take a break. We're going to come back with some close encounters from Weird Georgia after this. You're listening to Mysterious Universe. Stay with us. Coming up later on this show, we have some encounters with vicious little elf-like people. But before we go into those, we wanted to return to Jim Miles's weird Georgia. It's full of great close encounters and strange creatures. You've been looking through it today and picked out some great stories for us. This is one of my favourite books. And of course, we'll link to it in the show notes at mysteriousuniverse.org. But there's a section here on assembly line abductions. And I just found this to be different to some of the more conventional abductions that we talk about. Well, when you hear these kind of stories, it, it gets terrifying because the sense of scale is enormous. Exactly. It starts at 2am in the morning during the early winter of 1997, as a LaGrange resident claimed three dark silver figures, four and a half feet to five feet tall, walked through his bedroom wall and froze him in place. They exited the same way. 
He thought the aliens, who had what looked like ceramic skin without seams or wrinkles, were energy creatures. He could not make out their facial details because they were distorted. He said it was like looking at coins in a pool of deep water. The humanoids had arms and legs, but their hands were shaped like clubs and they had webbed fingers. He could see muscles and bones in their bodies. Outside, the men observed the outline of an enormous saucer. It had a dark light along the edge. He estimated it was more than 1,700 feet long and that it hovered 100 to 150 feet above the trees. Part of the craft extended into his backyard. The victim and the aliens were instantly transported inside, where it felt like there was no gravity. The interior of the craft was illuminated like daylight. The interior of this vast ship resembled a modern factory packed with tables as far as he could see. Many aliens and machines with long arms were working on a number of humans. After the man was placed on one of the examination tables, a probe whacked his right front calf, then he was rotated and it thumped his left buttock while a mechanical arm seized the crown of his head. He said you could hear a pin drop inside the craft. Although the machines were moving and making some noise, the humans were very quiet. The next thing the man knew was that he woke up at 10am, four and a half hours past his usual rising time, and he was very late for work. He found a perfect quarter-sized circle on his right thigh where his skin had peeled. It was red and it hurt and it looked like it had been made by a catfish skinner and a compass. A large painful bruise decorated his left butt cheek and a scab had formed on the crown of his head. He also felt hot inside all over. He says without the scars, he would not have believed that the incident had occurred and would have thought it was a dream. The man was awed by his experience, declaring that the alien technology is beyond anything that we have. The start of it sounded like cattle being rounded up. Well, it really does. And that goes back to other stories that we've heard. And I guess there are some theories out there that we're just meat or experiments or... But I thought there was a quarantine. What's going on? Portal opens in his room. He gets sucked out by energy beings with webbed hands and off he goes. Quarantine's obviously not working. No. The next one's about a woman who prefers to remain anonymous and has described several strange encounters to Tom Sheets, a former police chief who investigates UFO activity at a Fayetteville where the witness lives. She awoke between 7 and 8am in January of 1995 after her husband had left for work to see two diminutive aliens perched on her husband's pillow. She presumed one to be male and the other female, and both were the size of six-year-old children. One had crinkled or dry beige skin, large round eyes and short dark hair. Both were clad in neutral coloured garments. She raised an arm to touch them, but her arm fell back down. She glanced away for a moment and the figures vanished. A year and a half later, in January of 1996, she woke during the night and saw a small being scamper away from her, across her husband and to the foot of the bed without movement from the mattress. The creature moved to the floor and joined at least three other creatures that huddled against the wall on her husband's side of the bed, watching her. The woman could not move or speak, just observed the beings by the illumination from a VCR light. The humanoid creatures were five feet tall, with skinny limbs, grey skin, small mouths, large eyes, thin limbs, a reverse teardrop head, and a face also shaped like a teardrop. The odd part of the story was their dress black Panama hats and dark cloaks. She noticed neither smell nor sound during the experience. Panama hats? Google image that right now. All right. What's a Panama hat? Oh, right. Yeah, okay. So it's almost like an Indiana Jones hat. Why would they have Panama hats on? Well, obviously, they've been watching a lot of Hollywood. The witness apparently fell asleep again. In the morning, her husband was ignorant of the incident, but the couple found orange-brown stains on the bedroom carpet and a sheet. A burn the shape of a commando dagger blade was preserved. The woman had seen a UFO as a child and may have been abducted when a teenager. She and her husband are well-educated and work in the aerospace industry during its glory days. Both are well-respected in their community. Sheets found the 55-year-old woman intelligent, articulate, forthright and well-read, with no reason to attempt a hoax. Her description of shy, skittish aliens is certainly unique. Maybe it was an alien kindergarten field trip, he says. Now, there's a method to my madness with those two stories. And as I said, that's from Weird Georgia by Jim Miles. But both of those stories involved creatures that were smaller than your regular abduction type. Whereas, you know, we hear that aliens are constantly sort of around four foot tall, which is what they were in the first one. But in the second one, 
they were diminutive, almost like children that were sitting on the bed. So that sparked me off and I thought, why don't we go and find some creepy little people's tales? And we certainly have. This first one is from True Ghost Tales. And the witness writes that the story that I'm about to tell you is 100% true. This is not a joke and I did not make this up in any way. She said, this really did happen to me and my three children. We moved from Indiana to come and live here in the southernmost tip of Texas so we could be close to my husband's family. We built a beautiful home on a lot that was the last one before the road went into dirt. We had no neighbours on our left side and the road and empty fields go on and on for many miles. So on this day, I decided to take my three boys, Austin, 13, Julio, 6 and Emmanuel, 4, on a walk down the dirt road to just basically get them out of the house for a while. We began laughing and chasing one another as mums do, but almost two miles down the road, my oldest son, Austin, let out a scream that made me immediately turn to see what was wrong. My son was pointing down the road, and there, on the side of the road, was four little people. Now, when I say little people, I do not mean short. I mean about a foot tall, and they were all wearing little pointy white hats and white clothes. Two of them were splashing arm in arm in the rain puddles that had collected by the side of the road, and one of them appeared to be filling up a bucket with the same water. The last one was the smallest and walked with a bit of a limp, and I noticed a fifth one that was much taller than the rest of them and wore all black and had a shorter black hat on as well. I could tell right away that the one in black was obviously some type of authority or leader, and I watched as he picked up the smallest one and placed him upon his shoulders. Now, all this time, we're standing there just watching them, and they seemed completely unaware of us. We just stood there frozen and not believing what we were seeing. Then out of nowhere, the leader, or the one in black, seemed to notice us, and he turned to the others, obviously telling them that it was time to go, because they stopped what they were doing and right away followed the biggest one into the tall grass. We walked up to the place where they'd been after a while of waiting, just to be sure that they weren't coming back, and there was a bunch of tiny bare footprints left behind in the mud, along with weird writing that looked a lot like hieroglyphics. We looked around the area, and I have to tell you that there was no place around there that they could have gone without us seeing them, or them having to cross the road to the other side where the woods are. We turned around and walked home, and later that night, I went out for a smoke, and I couldn't believe it. There they were again, just at the edge of my property, staring at me with such curiosity that for some reason made me not feel afraid of them. They began to copy or mimic my movements, and when I put my hands on my hips, they did so too. I finally sat down on my mother's old wheelchair and noticed how curious they seemed about the chair. I went inside after a while, and in the morning I went back out, and there were lots of tiny, muddy footprints all over the concrete patio leading up to the old wheelchair and all over the chair itself. I had to laugh because it all just seemed so surreal. Since then, I've seen the tiny people numerous times, and each time they seem to be observing me. I've never gotten any bad feelings or ill intentions from them, so I'm not scared of them anymore. But I have to say, this is the weirdest thing that I've ever heard of. I was in a beauty shop about a week later after my first encounter when somehow the subject came up and I couldn't believe how casual my neighbour was when she said that the little people had messed up her garden the night before. I asked her if she had seen them and if everyone knew and she said that everyone on that side of the street knew about the little people that lived on the dirt road. She said that they were pranksters and liked to cause mischief but are otherwise harmless. It is truly strange how she just accepted it almost as if it was a normal thing. I've looked up these little people and was very surprised to see how many other people have seen them also. It's strange that she says everyone in the neighbourhood knows about the little people. If you're seeing them all the time and you're seeing their footprints, take a photo. Yeah, that's a good point. Take a photo of the footprints. Take a photo, yeah. Maybe it's like Sasquatch, how we keep on saying, well, if there's Sasquatch out there, why isn't there a body? I mean, maybe there's something beyond this. Maybe there's something interdimensional, Time travel, I don't know. There's photos of Sasquatch footprints. I want to see tiny footprints. Yeah, fair enough. I want to do a story where we have photos of tiny footprints. <laughs> Bear that in mind. Well, the ones in that story didn't seem to have any evil intentions, and you get the sense that they almost weren't used to humans being able to perceive them. Well, no, they were curious. When they first were witnessed, they just were very blasé, as you often hear in these stories. They weren't even paying attention to the woman and her children. Once they realised that she could see them, then they started to pay some interest. 
But she's lucky the interest was pretty benign because we moved to the next story, which is called The Four Demon Elves. And apparently this one happened in 1967. And the weirdest part of this story, the witness says, is that my younger sister and I never knew that our older sister had seen them as well. My younger sister, Clarice, and I loved to ride horses. Almost every day in the summer, we would set off to the stables. We left very early one morning, and it was our habit to climb out of our bedroom windows that we would not wake the rest of the family. One morning, Clarice was partway out the window when she let out a god-awful scream and started moving in reverse. I was trying to push her forward, but she came crashing back into me, and we landed in a heap on the bedroom floor. Clarice was white, and I could tell she was terrified and in shock. I kept asking her what was wrong, but it took her a while to be able to tell me. When she finally told me what she had seen, I didn't believe her. She said there were four little men outside in the bushes, and they looked like little demon elves. She said she could tell they were evil. I didn't believe in the supernatural at the time, so to tease her, I leapt out of the window, ran over to the bushes, and started crouching down, calling for the evil elves to show themselves. They didn't, and I wrote the whole thing off as a very vivid imagination on my sister's part. Years later, we three sisters were together visiting and talking, and Clarice asked me if I remembered the demon elves. At that moment, our older sister Christy turned as white as a ghost and said, You saw them too? It turns out that on that very same morning Clarice had seen them. Those evil elves had awakened Christy by scratching at her window, laughing evilly and calling her name. She said when she got up to see who was at her window, she almost fainted. It was the same evil elves Clarice had seen. She screamed at them to go away, and after some time of tormenting her, they backed into the bushes where the unfortunate Clarice saw them. The scariest part was when Clarice said, Remember that you couldn't see them? I nodded my head. She continued to say, When you ran up the bushes, they were still there. You were just inches away from them, and then they disappeared. We never did see those elves again, but to this day, we three sisters all agree that they were really there. You know, I don't actually get elves with that. I mean, I guess it comes back to the old folklore of things like gremlins. It's kind of along that line. Well, it's all connected. I mean, you can't have stories of gremlins without elves. It all goes back to the same fairy folklore. But you know what? My recent theory is really becoming, the more that I do Mysterious Universe, these things aren't actually that negative. They're just like trolling us. That's all it is. It just seems to be like they like actually just harassing us and giving us a hard time. There never seems to be anything that's really terribly, horrifyingly violent. I mean, they were just happy to scratch in the window and scare her. Yes and no, because you could argue that you can lump in with this, the alien abduction phenomena. Well, that makes things different. And then you can have stories in folklore where fairies snatch humans away. Come on, I'm an ex-scientist. I'm trying to put this into a pigeonhole. You can't. There's no pigeonholes. I mean, yeah, you can't say it's not negative because there's stories in history of people being snatched away to the fairy realm. Uh, But it was never negative, though. I mean, think of the the water spirits that drag the men underneath. If they refuse to marry them, then they drown a horrible death. That's true. And the kappa. The kappa as well in Japan. They're not always nice and sweet. They might not be always just tricksters that like to have a bit of fun. Sometimes the tricks can be deadly. Well, that is true. And there is also another story here called The Troll Battle. And aside from kicking a troll's face off, which is... Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, that is a good way of getting rid of them. Apparently, using a BB gun is not such a great <laughs> yeah, idea. BB gun. Because they're friends with shadow people. Yeah, that's right. Well, they contract shadow people like you contract the mafia to break someone's legs. Exactly. And David says, when I was a kid, I would go to my cousin's house to play. One day, I was at her house, and she told me that there were little black figures about three feet tall playing in a haystack that my uncle had. I didn't believe her at first, but when I looked, sure enough, there they were. We began to see them every time we would go into the woods at her house. My cousin was a tomboy, and we would go into the woods and play with our BB guns, and would go to a little hideout we had down there. We would see them peek around trees, and they would run to another tree and peek around that one. Then, one day we were in the woods, and we saw them again. My cousin shot her BB gun at once, and the next thing we knew, there were about ten of them standing around us. So I shot my BB gun at one of them, and they started to chase us. They chased us all the way up to the top of the hill where her house was, but they didn't come out of the woods. So we turned over the picnic table that was on her porch, got behind it, and shot our BB guns into the woods at them. The next thing we knew, they were throwing rocks at us, and they were hitting the picnic table. That night, 
I told my grandma about it and she just laughed at me. So I went to bed and as I was laying there, I looked beside me and there was this tall black figure about six feet tall just standing beside my bed. I was so scared that I just laid there all night long. I call BS on that story. I'm sorry. <laughs> really? Flipping their table yeah, and then having a cowboy and Indians fight yeah. with your fantasy elves. That story would have been better if the shadow guy just got a pillow and held it over his face. Or left a horse head in his bed. Yeah, that would have been better. Well, let's finish these mad little people tales with the little monk and his loot. Because this is... This is rather ambiguous, this story. Oh, like the rest of them aren't. <laughs> When I was about four years old, we lived in an old trailer and I had to share a room with my two sisters. That always sucks. My parents were already divorced, but arguing frequently about visitation rights. Then he started to appear to me. I had trouble sleeping at night and would toss and turn and always end up at the end of the bed, staring at my door and the light that emitted from the hall. One very restless night, I laid staring in the same spot when suddenly a little man about four feet tall, dressed in a brown monk's cloak, entered my room. He carried with him a small lute, and his face was hidden by the dark hood. He would stand at the foot of my bed and stare at me. I wasn't afraid, and I actually quite enjoyed his presence. He would then play a beautiful melody, and it would send me sleeping within minutes. He visited me as often as three times a week, or whenever I had trouble sleeping, all the way up to first grade, and then he disappeared from my life. He helped me through tough times with my parents, and then when things got better, he left. When I was 17, my mother and I were having one of our little chats when I decided that I would tell her about my monk friend. She looked surprised and pleased at the same time. She then began telling me about her incident with the monk that visits her. And that's where the story ends, but I kind of like that one because it goes back to that idea that perhaps in some cases, when young children claim they have these imaginary friends, they're not always imaginary there might be something more going on and it makes you feel a little bit better when there's something positive like that one. It's almost like a guardian spirit, if you will. Yeah, and see, so there are a lot of positive aspects that's associated with the paranormal. It's just unfortunate that horror seems to be something that engages people more than the positive aspects. And then, you know, a lot of the other positive stuff that's in this genre, which isn't really positive, but it's all, oh, love and light, you know, and that's, I've got to say, that's not the case. That's not what is going on. There is, I mean, I really should correct myself. There's a lot of sinister garbage going on in this paranormal world, which we really can't see. Well, I was going to go to a music break there, but I thought I don't want to finish on a happy fairy that comes in and plays lutes to lull you to sleep. Good. Back me up here on the negativity. We're saying that those positive stories are out there, but let's face it, they're few and far in between. Most of them are more like this. This is from yourghoststories.com. The witnesses from Pennsylvania, and this is a reasonably new sighting. This has been posted in the last couple of days. And they said my parents live in a very large apartment complex in Pittsburgh's South Hills area. The apartment has been there since the 60s and has long been rumoured to be haunted. Over the years, I've heard many stories from long-time tenants about heavy footfalls in the halls, strange laughter, things moving around on their own and all types of other sordid events. My own story occurred in the summer of 2002 while I was staying with my parents temporarily while waiting to return to New York City for a new job. I'd just come back from a late night out with friends, no drinking or anything, and was walking down the hall to my parents' apartment. During my walk, I kept getting the overwhelming feeling that someone was watching me. Now, I've had that feeling before, and it usually goes away as soon as I close the door to my parents' place, but this night it didn't. I initially ignored it, took a shower and went to bed, closing my bedroom door behind me. That night, out of nowhere, I snapped awake, heart racing in a cold sweat, instantly terrified, and I had no clue why. Then I heard the breathing. I was beneath my covers, but I could hear breathing just over them, inches above my face, like something was watching me right above my blanket. I was frozen beneath the covers, eyes wide open, more frightened than I've ever been in my life. Now, I'm a pretty tough guy. I've been a fighter for years. I'm well versed in two martial arts. Yet I could only lay there, stricken and debilitated with fear, waiting for whatever was in my room to go away. And for what felt like hours, it didn't. I could actually hear it moving around the room, hitting cologne bottles on my dresser, knocking off hats I had hung on the wall, and moving back and forth past my beaded curtains, making it gently rattle. Finally, I found the courage to reach out from my covers and grab the remote to the television. 
I clicked it on and lay there, still too scared to take my head out from beneath the covers. After a while, I slowly pulled the covers down and looked toward my door. It was ajar, and I saw a large, perfectly symmetrical black ball moving slowly out of the room. I knew I wasn't seeing things because it was blacker than the dark around it, and it paused when it saw that I was watching. I couldn't see, but I felt like it was smiling at me, warning me that it would be back. It sat there for a few seconds, hovering by the door before slowly exiting the room. After it left, the tension in my room was gone, and somehow I drifted to sleep. That story to me was really intriguing for the fact that it really made me think. When we do a lot of reports on these shows, we always talk about humanoid reports. And when people have encounters like shadow person encounters, gnomes, alien abductions, these sort of things, a lot of them are all humanoid shaped. Mm. It's very rare that we get some type of report where it's so outside of what humanity is. It's like the black sphere. Yeah, it's just a black sphere. Or during the week when we report on the triangle-like being. But again, still humanoid. It's not like you just suddenly have a perfectly symmetrical black sphere appear in your room and then impose such a dreadful, horrific feeling with inside he, you. He says that it was that was 10 years ago that that occurred and he still can't sleep with the television on. He has really? to have something running in the room, otherwise he can't sleep. And his parents refuse to move. There's something about the place where they just insist on staying there. But every time he visits, he feels the same presence. He feels that same feeling that something's not quite right. And when he mentioned there that he is a martial artist, it reminded me of these old tales of Eastern martial arts where on a very high level, mm. when you've defeated all your opponents in the, the physical arena, that your knights are restless. Because in, in the nights, in your dreams, other things come to challenge you. They see that you've reached a, a pinnacle in the physical realm, so you start to get challenges from something else. Oh, it never stops. Well, that's the thing. And the whole point is that you need to let go of competitiveness, that attachment to competitiveness. Oh, I see. But right. it, it was like a, a phenomenon where things would come and challenge you. And it would be like a fight to the death, but not in the physical realm. Right. So, would they be humanoid or they could be, it'd just be anything that would come and cause problems? Could be anything. Yeah, right. And this is funny because there's all those strange conspiracies of how Bruce Lee died, you know? And then I hear those. Yeah. Like, they'll say he was defeated by his demons. And then I hear those old Eastern stories of, you know, Kung Fu masters fighting things beyond the physical realm, which are all like crazy fantastical stories. But when he mentioned there that he's a master of two martial arts, you know, it just made me think of that and wonder maybe something came to challenge him in his dreams. Yeah. But he obviously didn't, wasn't ready for it. Well, I mean, he even stated there that, you know, he's a big guy and essentially he's implying that he can look after himself. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he'd reached his physical peak, but it was like, well, now you've passed that test. Let's move on to the hard round. got beaten by Akuma. Let's take a break. We're going back to Freeman Young and his communion with Sasquatch. We promise there will be no sounds of cats fighting in this next segment, but there are some great stories coming up. Stay with us. So we had so much fun with the Freeman Young audio on the midweek show. We thought we'd do some research and he actually has a book out. It's called Communion with Sasquatch. He's actually a co-author with J.P. Smith and Christopher Noel. And it's a collection of interviews. So we picked up a copy. It's available in the Kindle format as well. We'll link to it in the show notes, of course. It needs a bit of work, I've got to be honest with you. Some editing would have been nice because it's basically the transcriptions of the interviews. But with all the likes, the you knows, and the ums, transcribed as well. It's all in the book. It's like reading a transcript of a drunk Mucker Hanks. (laughs) Poor Mucker. There's so many you knows. He's not that bad. Well, he's not obviously not this bad. Um (laughs) You know, and we edit out our ums and ahs, but... Oh, yeah, there's a lot of editing that goes in. There's so many in this book, but the stories are still good. And Freeman Young goes through some of his childhood encounters with Sasquatch. And again, this is the interesting thing with any type of encounters with strange, out-of-the-ordinary things. It seems to continue on through the person's life. Yes. It's like you and I will go through our entire lives and not see a thing. And then this guy will see everything his entire life. Doesn't seem to be fair, does it? The paranormal isn't fair. It knows that. So, as a child, he's describing, uh, you know, growing up near a golf course. And he remembers one summer where it was extremely dry. It was like a drought. And that's when he actually started seeing Sasquatch because they were getting so desperate for water that they would come out and they would 
drink at the water holes that were still left that were close to the golf courses and close to people's houses. That's interesting. So that takes away the idea of them being interdimensional. It makes them like an actual hairy humanoid. Hairy, thirsty dudes. Yeah. And he was a young boy. He liked to go and explore uh, in the woods. And, you know, he loved watching Tarzan in that time period. And he would occasionally see them coming out to get water with the rest of the wildlife, like deers and whatever else was there. And he starts to describe how they used to scream. They used to call them the screamers. Him and his friends would call them the screamers. And he describes these you know, unholy kind of out of this world screams that they would hear. And he said, we didn't know what they were. He wasn't aware of Sasquatch. It's just a kid. He thought they were demons. And he said, we would make up all kinds of things for them. He had just read Lord of the Rings. So, he kept convincing himself it was Gollum, <laughs> which would freak you out as a kid. Of course it would. After reading Lord of the Rings, you actually hear Gollum. He said the sound of it was completely exotic. It didn't sound like anything he saw in Wild Kingdom or TV. The closest thing I could think of was the sound from maybe a parrot, but it was more exotic. It was more like a primate scream. Basically, that's what it left you with. It was creepy. It was exotic. It was huge. And it echoed all over the place. He said the scream was moving. It would move down the ridge and it would do this as it was moving down, sort of announcing its arrival. He says, I wonder if it was calling and I just didn't hear the return, like it was sensitive or aware enough to consider that. He says, of my first encounter, there was a retaining wall that went up about 15 feet. At the top of the retaining wall were the woods, and it was a brand new road and a brand new retaining wall. I was leaning against it, and I'm scared out of my mind. This thing is screaming right above my head. He says, I'm holding my little micro cassette recorder like a phaser on Star Trek, as if it's like a weapon or something. I'm holding it like it's going to protect me, he says. Now, I'm not caring how it's recording. I just remember standing in this posture thinking, I'm getting it. I'm recording this and my life's on the line. And he points out at this stage that it was in 1978. And he says, in the next moment, the thing has leapt into the air, lets out a scream, and I hear it coming through the air. He says it lands right in front of me and drops to all fours on its fingertips. I can clearly see it in the full moonlight. It's landed and it's gone down onto its fingertips into a push-up position and its nose goes way down and stops like a quarter inch from the cement. And it sniffs. It smells me. He says it turns and it does this scream five feet away from me. And he says I'm holding the microcassette recorder out like a little weapon. He's a kid. He's terrified. Yeah, of course. He said it leapt straight up into the oak tree, about 10 feet up and out the other side and down this par five course. It's like 100 yards wide and half a mile long. He said, I can see it perfectly in the full moon. And he's running down this thing, doing his scream. He's running this crazy run where he goes one, two, leap. And he goes way far down the fairway like a kangaroo. He says, I don't know how far he leaped, but he's just screaming the whole way. So that implies to me that physiologically, I mean, they have to be certainly more advanced than even current primates, right? Because gorillas and chimps, I mean, even though they've got a lot more strength than humans, they've got no ability to leap that far into the air or across a distance, right? There's another encounter early in this book where they're describing that it's almost like, where one's running away from a witness, Mm -hmm. and it's almost like gravity is different for them. So Ah. each, each leap is taking them extreme distances that doesn't quite look right. There seems to be some other force at play, but they're able to make these leaps and each leap is an incredible distance. Um, So, at the time, he was still confused because he saw this thing in the moonlight, but he thought maybe it's like an escaped pet because he says there's a lot of mansions nearby and, you know, rich people can have whatever pets they want. I want a chimp. Exotic pets like a chimp. So, he thought maybe someone's monkey had escaped or something. But eventually, after he started having more sightings as he got older, he realized that this was Sasquatch. And he skips ahead to when he's a lot older and he describes going to this- Indian ceremony, a Native American ceremony. And he says, I'm all pumped. I went through this initiation and I'm skipping a lot here because I'm trying to get to the encounters. Mm. But it's very much a story that has spiritual aspects to his life as well. But he says, I've gone through this initiation and my vibe's really up. So, he decides to grab his mountain bike and just go explore the forest as he did, as he's he's always done. So, he's going down on Klamath's River, which goes through Oregon and into California. 
And he says, I started off, I rode the bike back about a quarter of a mile as far as I could and jumped off the bike. He says, that's one of those super light mountain bikes. So I just put it over my shoulder and started up this kind of 45 degree angle hill. He says, I'm going straight up this way and I'm walking it like a Stairmaster. And I get a couple of hundred yards up and there's a woodpecker hole right at eye level. It's a ladder back woodpecker family and all the little woodpeckers are in there cheeping around. So he stops and takes a rest and he says, I put the bike down for a second and look in the hole. He's just checking it out. And he says, all of a sudden, right behind me, I hear this sound of wood ripping with such power and force, it chills my blood. He says, oh, hell. I turn around and I see this black hairy thing in a log and straight away I think it's a bear. He says he grabs the bike to defend himself like the bear's going to have to go through the bike to get to him. He says he's all postured up in this defensive mode. And then this Sasquatch just steps out from the log. <laughs> really? Yeah, it flips its hair back from its face. He says it's all covered in dirt from its head being in the log. He says it stood up straight. It looked back at the log and he said it didn't even notice me. And it just stuck its head back in the log and started ripping at it again with both hands it just had its head all the way up there. What, was it trying to eat the things? It's trying to get at something. Yeah, right. He said, I just tiptoed down the hill as fast as I could, jumped on my bike as soon as I could and got out of there. He said, I was disturbed, but I was reborn. My chemicals just went off and that was it. I got on my friend's computer and got in there and then I saw how much information there was on Sasquatch. This was like in the year 2000 and he says, I was amazed. Of course you would be. So, he had these encounters as a child and it's like other stories we've heard where if you're not familiar with people's sightings, if you're not familiar with the world of Sasquatch sightings, you think it's all hocus pocus yeah. and there's nothing really to it. It's just a myth. Well, you just hear X-Files music playing, don't you? Exactly. So, he didn't realise that there were people seeing things as well. So, that's when he added it all up and realised that his uh, childhood encounters weren't an escaped pet. So, I find those stories intriguing, but what really grabbed me about what he was talking about, even though his communication was was certainly odd, I mean, he may yeah, very yeah. well be telling the truth, but the whole eyes thing grabbed me because we've heard reports before of people saying there were these red glowing eyes. Is there anything in that book about the eye communication? Well, not always red, but, you know, glowing orange, glowing yellow. Yeah, right. Yeah. But glowing is the key there. So, it's not the moon reflecting no, off- No, it's luminescent. An animal's eyes, it's luminescent. And I was skipping through the book because it's quite long and I happened to stumble upon that page where he's talking about the communication through the eye shine. And this is where he says, I heard laughing and it sounded like Scooby-Doo, exactly like Scooby-Doo and Shaggy laughing. This I'm is not like doing from, that again. This is probably the transcription from the audio we played yeah, right. on the last show. And then he's, he's in the forest and he says, I hear these footsteps coming. And he said, I heard people talking. And now I know they communicate with eye shine. He says, eyeshine communication is one of their primary ways of communicating because it's silent and because you can see it in any light and it flashes a long distance. He says, it's not a sound wave, it's a light wave. And they use that to communicate over huge distances. He says, I've seen them talking to each other from treetop to mountaintop, from treetop to treetop, from treetop to ground, and so on and so on. He says, they're talking and the one up in the tree is using eyeshine to flash the other one that's going on down there. And the interviewer here says, when you say eye shine, are you talking about reflective eye shine or, you know, the eye shine that mammals have? And mm. as we discuss, he says, no, 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 this is inner illumination and we don't understand the physics of it. Well, it defies the whole idea of what biology is because the eye works by taking in light. That's how the eye works. If there was light in the eye, it would blind you. Yeah, he says it's not the kind of eye shine that other animals produce. It's something else. It's a kind of inner illumination. I think it goes along with their understanding of advanced physics. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Is he saying that Bigfoot has an understanding of advanced physics? Yeah. Okay. If Bigfoot, if Bigfoot was accepted in society, he'd win the Nobel Prize. I find that difficult, but maybe I'm being <laughs> ignorant. But maybe that's just the way he puts it into words, right. right? He says it's not reflective, it's illuminative. It's like they have a dimmer switch inside their eyes. And not only is it a dimmer switch, but it can flash all different colours. A rainbow of colours. Oh, well, there's the answer. Well, we've spoken about the colour of the eyes, as you just said before, when I said red, and you're like, well, we hear stories of different other colours. 
So what, they've got like RGB LEDs in the back of their yeah, eyes? Yeah, he says there's some formula where they can communicate through the different colours and the, the flashing on and off. And it makes sense. It's like Morse code, but you've got the colours as well. It just adds another layer to it, doesn't it? He says, I saw two Bigfoot. One was in the creek and one was running along the creek. One was hopping on the stones and was kind of splashing in the water every so often. And one was running along the trail. They were kind of jogging, like double timing it. It was getting light. And it was like 5.30 in the morning. I was in position, I was hidden behind a rock wall and I heard the splashing in the water and looked over with my night vision and I can see these two. So, he's sitting there with goggles on doing his thing. He says they're talking as they're jogging. Their eyes are flashing. Flash, 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 flash from the one in the water and then flash, flash, flash from the other one in response. Like, hey baby, what are you doing tonight? Exactly. That's exactly what they're talking about. Right. He then says, and this is where I kind of stopped because we had to record. He says, when I say the event, I saw a hundred plus Bigfoot all standing in a huge circle in this massive area. They were all there talking with their eyes. They weren't talking in any other fashion and they were all talking at once. They were having conversations like people at a soccer game would be, but instead of a murmur, there was no sound. It was silent. And there were just these little flashing lights. He says they were barely visible to the naked eye and I could only see them with the night vision. With the night vision, it was incredible. They were all doing something different. And the interviewer was like, um, you witnessed a hundred Sasquatch at once? Yeah. And he's like, a hundred plus. I think there was more like 120 Bigfoot having a cultural event, all using eye shine to communicate at the same time. So, it's a Bigfoot conference. Yes, he said this is in California. So, he, he wanders in- <laughs> To 120 plus. Yeah, it's a Bigfoot. It's a Bigfoot conference about humans. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Bigfoot rave party where they're feeding (laughs) dolphins LSD. (laughs) And then he goes on about the question of obviously, you know, we asked this. Why is he special that he can see them? Why can he hear them when other researchers can't? And he starts to talk about, and this is where I kind of tape it off and I'll have to go back and look at it. But he says he projects feelings of love towards them. And that's how he can perceive it because he has certain abilities that he can yeah, control. and that's where you lose me. Right. But in the context of the whole story, it makes sense. I mean, no other researchers are talking about this. And he says this in the uh, interview. He's like, well, no one else has come up with this theory because I'm the only one that can perceive it. You know what? That's a really good point. I guess if you keep on doing something the same way and you don't change, well, then you're going to keep on getting the same results, aren't you? So, yeah, maybe by him adding a little bit of love and light to his Bigfoot hunting, perhaps he's going to get a different response. So, I actually enjoyed what I read from that book. It's called Communion with Sasquatch. Again, we'll link to it at mysteriousuniverse.org. But if you do pick it up, beware. Very hard to read. Very, very hard to read. And the thing is, remember the crazy Bigfoot story we covered of the guy that it was basically his life story and his dad was in trouble with the organized crime yeah, and yeah. there was Nazi coins and there was arrows being shot and a pig his eating a Bigfoot leg and yeah, cra- crazy stuff. That's actually in this book. Oh, is it really? Yeah, this guy, that guy's story is in that book in larger detail, his interview. Right. Um, so, that's probably a reason alone to pick up that. So, again, we'll link to it if you want to check it out. So, we're getting close to the end of the show, Ben, but, you know, the show's been fairly serious and I thought that we need to have- it, We've been talking about elves and tiny people today. But we've been serious about it. I just thought that we just need something just a little bit, just a little slightly bit out there, just a little bit- crazy so of course we went to block talk radio yeah block talk radio <laughs> we went looking no before we go to that tell everyone about the email you got at the start of this week because well, we've, evidently we've played your christian bale rantings on the show before and now some emails tend to piece you off <laughs> to put it mildly so we got an invite to be part of a, a tv network last week yeah um this is what i find to be really ridiculous evidently she didn't hear what happened last week and she emailed us in. She's like, hi, I'm such and such. I'm a co-producer and hostess of Family Spirit. Like, no links, no details on where it is, how to get to it, how to see it, whatever. And she goes, um, I would really love if you guys could do a story or a cover in your magazine about my show. <laughs> is, is that the voice that she emailed you in? That's, that's how I interpreted it. Right. That's how bad it was. And I emailed back and went, sure, great. What a brilliant idea. Oh, wait, we don't have a magazine. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, Why do you get so angry? Because I don't have time for just that kind of garbage, right? Because I knew it was going to be garbage. So I looked it up. 
Yeah, I looked we, up. we went to the their best. What's it called? Best, best TV. TV network TV. It is the most ridiculously bad, terrible site that you can and, find. And they have a banner on the top of their site. And what does the banner say? It's all misspelled. Yeah, no, it's where the world watches TV and watches is just spelled. With the H and then an S at the end. Yeah, so they misspell not- watches. That's their big <laughs> well, the banner. The world watches but TV. When you go to their network site, they have lots of shows. They're all gone now. Instead of, yeah, it's all gone. But instead of actually having a menu where you select what you want to watch, all these tiny little icons are flying around this fishbowl, like flash fishbowl animation. And you have to try and- you got to click ch- it. Chase it with yeah. your mouse cursor and click it. It's ju- It's just ridiculous. Yeah. So um, I was, yeah, I, but the thing was, it didn't really bother me. What annoyed me was that, you know, this person had such a bad product, but they had the audacity to not even look, <laughs> not even look at what we do, not even, How look, dare they? not even look at our product and they go, do a cover story in your magazine about us. I'm like, what are you talking about? You see, next time that happens, you need to stop short and you need to say, look, we'd love to do a cover story of you in our next edition of the Mysterious Universe magazine. How comfortable are you with topless photos? How comfortable are you posing with horses? <laughs> oh my God, you know, you just going just, just throw things like that out there to see what she says. Rather than just saying- How would you feel if I sent you a pineapple yeah. and a bra? First, we need a photo of you with a pineapple on your head, holding up a sign, <laughs> I am a retard. Well, that was the other thing, because even the email, the email was spelt terribly. And at the end, it was like, I were to hear from you. Yeah. Okay. So, we were going to cover some stuff from their network at the end of the show, but unfortunately, their website's gone. <laughs> <laughs> the best TV network lasted a few weeks. After I said go away, she's like, oh, I woke up to herself. So, I have this show in my feed and we played this the other day and I just, we keep coming back to it because it's freaking hilarious. It's this woman from In Light Radio and she channels all these heavenly beings. And this week, she was back on channeling the goddess Guan Yin. Now, Guan Yin is like a Chinese deity. And this is just, let's just play it. To me, again, very Eastern looking, very Asian looking. I won't uh, necessarily say Chinese because it depends. Okay, so she's a Chinese deity, but she doesn't look Chinese. Okay. She certainly is hot Eastern with black, black eyes. Both of our guests tonight, Lao Tzu and Kuan Yin, have these sparkling black eyes, but when I look at Kuan Yin's eyes, they look like liquid pools that you could dive in and simply stay there forever. <laughs> you just want to slap off. And her skin is like the most beautiful porcelain <laughs> in terms of colors and rays. Okay, so before when we were listening to her, we wanted to hear where she transforms. And we actually found that where she's talking about getting Guan Yin, and this is the transformation. Very soft pink tourmaline. So she is, she is a wonder. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awkward. (laughs) So, any questions before we get started, Grant? No, transform. I say let's bring her on. (laughs) Okay. Bring her on. I believe she is bringing us her gift of the pink pearl, but let's her speak. Okay, here she comes. She's just transforming. But before she transformed, we actually realized that these channelings are much better with the soundtrack. They are. So we found the, An appropriate p- the most appropriate soundtrack we could find. This track's called The Money Shot. And uh, we think this is actually, <laughs> it's actually better with this, with this music. <laughs> okay, she's transforming. Greetings, I am Kuan Yin. Yeah. Welcome. And welcome to you, my brother. <laughs> and welcome to all who attend with and to me this night. I open my arms. Yes, and I invite you to climb with me upon my dragon. I'll climb your dragon, baby. For there is nothing more joyful. And there is no greater sense of freedom 
than riding the dragon. <laughs> it may take you many places, my friends. It can take you through the dimensional portal. It can take you far beyond what you think of as the realm of human experience. It can take you home. The dragon is also to remind you of the alchemy and magic. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Stop. See how much better it is. Stop. It's much better. With the porno music. <laughs> it's so much better. You can listen to it for days. You can just keep playing it while you're working in the background. As long as there's the money shot playing, playing in the, the background. background. You want to raise your vibrations? Play porno music. You want to come and ride my dragon? I know. Like When I was listening to that this morning, I'm like, ride my dragon? Are you talking... About you know, like chasing the dragon. Wow. Are you talking about drug abuse? What's going on here? I was hoping when Lao Tzu comes in later that her accent was would change, but it no, didn't. it's just the same BS. Yeah. Um. So definitely, yeah, check that podcast out. It, it's quite good. But With make sure you play seventies porn music underneath. Otherwise, it, you can't stand it. It's unbearable. Thanks for listening to this episode of Plus. Thank you so much for being a Plus member. We're looking forward to catching up with you on your midweek show next week. Until then, have a great weekend.